Hi everyone, Emily here. I'm so excited to talk about our partnership with Descrits. Descrits is truly the insider's guide to the ARE. Made by two young architects who recently passed their exams, the book breaks down all six exams into topic outlines and reading lists with specific pages to study from outside resources. For me, the hardest part of the ARE was figuring out what to study. I've used Descrits personally as a study guide for my last four exams and couldn't recommend it enough. It's easy to follow, graphically pleasing, which is very important to us design people, and it's very thorough, not vague at all. My personal favorite are the Descrits study sheets that cover objectives of each test in a super manageable way. The sheets only cover key topics, so you don't have to worry about sifting through any excess fluff. If you're interested, go to Descrits.com and use code OPP15 for 15% off. Happy studying! Hey everyone! Hey everyone, I'm Emily. And I'm Maria, and this is the Open Plan Podcast. We're excited to have you here. Join us in navigating life and architecture as young professionals tackling career, education, social lives, and everything in between. Keep up with us on Instagram at Open Plan Podcast. So now let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome back to Open Plan Podcast. Hey everyone, we're so glad to be back um, and have you guys with us. It's been a quite some time since we last recorded so this is kind of like a catch-up meeting for us too um, we have an agenda just kidding. yeah there's a lot to yeah <laughs> but today we have a really special interview with um one of emily's old professors and we had an amazing time if you want to skip through our catch-up you can go to directly to the interview in a couple of minutes but before we get into that um, first of all, we wanted to invite you all to go follow us on Instagram. We've been very active on there lately um, since we haven't had as much time to record that many episodes. We've been trying to be active there and we love interacting with you guys there on a more immediate basis rather than just waiting for episodes to come out. So we've been doing a lot of Q&As and Emily's been you know, showing her studying a little bit more and little sketch quizzes. For the mediocre sketching <laughs> to the world. Um, so we've been trying to to communicate through there a lot more. And um, if you recently followed us, thank you so much. And if you haven't, go do it. Go do it. You're missing out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been really fun. It's like a cool, I guess, like medium to communicate about just like random stuff. We even throw like really funny memes on there, guys. Like yeah. our little Miss Architect, I will say that was a good one. Yep. <laughs> Proud of that one. <laughs> yeah, I uh, think uh, that that's when we found out we really can relate to our audience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a gap. There's a gap for some funny architecture content sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll now go into our catch up, I guess. Rianne, yeah, let's you start. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can start. Um, so <laughs> I guess we haven't talked about the flood. <laughs> oh, the great flood of 22. <laughs> yeah, not the 2018 one, the 22. Yeah, um, we might have so, mentioned 2018, but there's another maybe. one, guys. Yeah, yeah, so long story short, I really don't want to spend time talking about this because it's miserable and I'm, I'm over it. But we had a leak in, I think it was the water heater of a unit upstairs that basically exploded, was leaking, and at some point got to a breaking point and was flooding our apartment halfway through the night. We were drying the floor. 
with towels and anyway long story short we're moving <laughs> we kind of dropped everything and just looked for apartments it was pretty insane and it's so competitive right now even for rentals so um we're moving to a townhome which is game changer i'm so excited um it's gonna be we're so gonna nice. have more room i'm gonna have a podcast room guys dude <laughs> the set i've been ready yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, big news kind of stopped everything else in life to figure that out. Um, so yeah, super excited. On to new beginnings. Be awesome. We could do an updated, uh, welcome to my crib. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to be, there's a lot more space to decorate and figure out how to make it brighter and taller and all the good things. Yeah. What about you? Um, so since we all last talked, this is kind of a big one. (gasps) I accepted an adjunct teaching position at Temple. (gasps) No way. (laughs) Maria knew the day this happened, but, um, you got a professor in the house? Excited. Yeah. Professor. I can't believe it. It's super surreal. Um, starting at the end of August, I'm going to be teaching like an intro to visual literacy class. Um, it's a three credit class for freshmen learning to kind of gauge graphics and like representation and architecture. And I took this exact class, um, as a freshman and it's just very a full full circle. I can't even Mm -hmm. explain it. It's kind of crazy. Um, so yeah, fingers crossed, guys. My first time teaching, and I'm so excited for the opportunity, and um, I'm excited to be on a campus again. So yeah, I really miss that. Are you going to be teaching in person every day or yeah. every class? Yep, in person mm-hmm. while keeping my full time job. <laughs> Shout out to my job for letting me do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, please, <laughs> all about communicating. Yeah. I let, I let them know like upfront. And speaking of teaching, um, we're going to get into it in our interview with Rashida also. You know, she's a full on academic. She started out traditionally as an architect and now is like fully at Penn um, doing like academia stuff. So if you're interested on that route, stay tuned. Um, yeah, I think it's something that we talk about a lot, just you and me. Um, And we do talk about it in the podcast sometimes, but this interview was really interesting to kind of hear more about her side of the story and how she went through her journey. So that's super exciting. I can't wait to like hear about it once you've completed the semester, maybe halfway through, we could do a little. Yeah. We could do like an update on how it's going. How are you managing, you know, just the, the time and, and how how is it dealing with students? What? That's a little scary. I know. In my head, I'm a student. No, I shouldn't right. say that. I need to <laughs> act more like a professor. <laughs> um, no, hopefully I'll be like relatable and understanding. Sure and yeah, we'll see. It's still crazy to say out loud, but big update there. And yep. probably just dive right into our episode now. And um, we're going to do a little intro for Rashida and stay tuned for a great interview. Rashida Eng is Associate Professor and Chair of Undergraduate Architecture at the University of Pennsylvania. 
A licensed architect and educator, Eng's research lies at the intersection of the climate crisis and social justice. She considers the collective impact of the climate crisis and systems of racial oppression on architecture in the urban realm. Eng has also authored numerous papers on advanced materials and is co-editor of the book, Performative Materials in Architecture and Design. She was the 2019 to 2020 president of the Association of Collegiate Schools of Architecture, the first African-American woman to hold this position. Yeah, so we had such an inspiring, insightful conversation with Rashida, so much so that we're going to divide this interview into two parts, as you can as you can tell by the title. Um, we really wanted to pack in all the content. We can't cut any of it out, guys. <laughs> it's so good. Um, she is one of 500 Black women architects in the United States, which is insane. Um, and we really get into her story and the adversity she faced, obstacles she faced in school and in the working world. And honestly, some pretty shocking stories. Yeah. I think she was also very open and vulnerable to, to talk about her experience. Um, that is, is kind of in the middle of the episode, but I don't know. It was just really insightful and, and made me think of things in a different way. She also offers hot takes a little bit on the formality of the word architect. We talked a little bit about that. We talk about um, what needs to change in the educational system because since she is in academia. So without further ado, here's the interview. Hey, everyone. We're in the recording studio with um, a very special guest this morning. We have on Rashida Eng. Rashida and I um, know each other because I went to undergrad at Temple University and Rashida was my professor. And um, I've always looked up to her. And um, since undergrad, we've kept in touch. Um, And even leading to my master's program, I reached out to her to get her opinion on, you know, continuing education and, you know, also to get her recommendation. And um, funny enough, we'll get into it. Uh, Rashida went to Georgia Tech for undergrad um, and so had a lot to say about it. And ultimately, that's where I went to my master's program. So um, with that intro, um, I want everyone to welcome Rashida. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you, Maria, for having me. So as of October 2020, there are 500 licensed Black women architects in the United States. And that's just 0.5% of all architects in the country. And you're one of them. (laughs) And this is a huge accomplishment. Um, Starting out, can you talk us through your journey of becoming an architect, um, starting um, with your education? So um, I started thinking about becoming an architect, I believe in like seventh grade and um, went back and forth between that and being uh, a research, uh, going into research medicine. I was a total science geek in high school, but also had this um, interest in art um, throughout my life. And um, when I ruled out research medicine (laughs) because I really enjoyed uh, people um, and decided I wanted to go to architecture, I really didn't know where to begin my journey about finding a school. I didn't understand the difference between a Bachelor of Architecture, a Bachelor of Science in Architecture, uh, an architecture major, a Master of Architecture. I didn't know any of it, nor did I have Uh, a mentor in my life who could really give me good career advice. Um, I'm dating myself, but there wasn't 
the internet wasn't available. There wasn't just information where you could go kind of Google. Um, So we used to receive no podcast. (laughs) Uh, So we, I talked to my college counselor in my high school and, you know, you would get signed up on these lists because of your SAT scores and schools would send you information that was really overwhelming to me to receive these big like packets. Um, So um, truthfully, I didn't open most of them. And I looked um, at a really small group of schools and I looked in Atlanta because my brother was a, um, who was a year older than I am, uh, was in school at Morehouse I looked oh, at yeah. Spelman. I looked at uh, Georgia Tech because I had a friend from high school that was at Georgia Tech. And I mean, it was all this really weird, you know, network. And I um, I thought I love Georgia Tech's campus. It was close to my brother, but not right then. And I knew that I could start in architecture right away. So it was a very, um, they gave me some financial support for the first year. <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't realize was not renewable um, in the subsequent <laughs> oh, no. years. So I really didn't have a lot of information uh, about how to kind of start. So I really um, learned about the different types of programs once I started at Georgia Tech in in architecture. And in fact, I even under architecture, because that was the name of the school, there were choices and one of them was building construction. I'm not sure if Georgia Tech has that as an undergrad yep, major anymore. But I checked building construction because I was like, oh, I want to work on buildings. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how little I knew. And then I had to change my major back to but architecture that's the same thing, once right? I got there. <laughs> that is so, so confusing <laughs> to have both of those listed for an undergrad. You're like, well, it's not what architecture is, constructing buildings. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was 17 years old when I started it. At tech and I really knew very little. Um, so, you know, I kind of found my way um, as I went, uh, mm-hmm. which is not, I'm glad you all are doing this podcast. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and there are many more resources available um, to students, but they still have to know where to look and they mm-hmm. still have to find them. So I think it's still uh, very difficult, I imagine, for students that don't know um, anything about architecture. So I'm going to do a quick plug for a website, studyarchitecture.com, that is put out by uh, the Association of Collegiate Schools of Architecture. You don't have to know that. You can just click studyarchitecture.com and there's a really great uh, resource site uh, for students that are interested in, in studying architecture. Yeah, we'll put that in our show notes. So for sure. We're going to go on there. Yeah, it's crazy to think that a decision you make when, you know, you're 17 can lead you on a path. Um, so that's that's funny that uh, we have, have had multiple guests now, including you, that have had the exact same story where it's like, we didn't really know. And did you have any architects in your family growing up or were you the first one? I had no architects in my family. Uh, my dad studied English and then went on to law school and my mom studied early education and uh, is a teacher, was a teacher. She's retired now. So they didn't really know. And I had no architects, like no aunts or uncles or cousins, like (laughs) no one. Um, And it, it actually, my desire to study architecture was a kind of left field thing, you know, in my family. So there was 
I was like, well, where did that come from? Um, and in black families uh, at that time, and maybe still today, it the idea of going to school, like it was a huge investment. And so you were, you thought about like large known professions, like, you know, you're going to be a doctor or you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be, you know, a teacher or something that was identifiable so that when you went to school, so an architect was like, okay, well, that's a thing, but it wasn't something that a lot of um, Blacks knew about. It wasn't something even that a lot of high school counselors knew about, and that still um, persists to this day. Um, and even more so if you didn't have someone in your family that you just didn't have a lot of readily available information. So um, once I got to Georgia Tech, that's when I realized, oh, I'm going to have to also go to grad school. Um, <laughs> so it was, uh, it, was a, it was a journey, you know, for sure. Yeah, the realization when you're like, oh, <laughs> I need yeah. to. I feel like too. even even like our generation has kind of gone through that because it, there's so many ways that you can kind of get to the end goal of becoming an architect. There's different degrees and and different ways to go about your experience hours and your tests and stuff. So there's not just one way to do it, and I think that's why it's confusing. And when you get to a school, you realize, oh. If I go here, this is the way I have to do it. But if I went there, it would have been different. Mm-hmm. So I, I think when you're in high school picking schools, you're not really thinking about that. You're thinking about the campus and the school and, you know, the city and those things. Not Your so first much. college experience yeah, away from yeah. home. There's so many other things. Yeah, yeah. I had no – I mean, I kind of I, – I knew it was like either five or four plus two, but that wasn't really like something that weighed on my decision-making because I didn't mm-hmm. really understand what that meant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think it's, it's still confusing. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot more yeah. resources, but it's still kind of an obscure profession in a way. All right. Well, bringing it back to you <laughs> a little bit, um, we did want to ask um, – Throughout your education, did you feel like you faced any obstacles at all, you know, outside what, you know, typical architecture students face a lot of obstacles um, on their journey? And, you know, whether it being a woman or a person of color, we always like to ask our guests what, like, you know, their personal take um, and experience was like. Um, yes. <laughs> it was Georgia Tech in the early 90s. And I, I mean, not just Georgia Tech. But Atlanta was south. not uh, the South uh, was not as hospitable to people of color as I expected, and um, so I became aware of my race in a different way um, than I had, I think, before. And most of my education prior to school was in a more diverse, like racially integrated. Uh, racially integrated schools in Philadelphia, uh, magnet schools that grew drew students from across the city. Um, not that there weren't still, you know, racial tensions within the school, but at Georgia Tech there was a uh, an unfamiliarity. Other students had, you know, looked at me, and I could tell they saw my race before they saw me. And that was um, that was that was difficult because I hadn't navigated 
um, the kind of uh, personal, I don't even, I don't know that it was, uh, sure, some of it was racism, but it was more a, um, I, I was being put kind of in a place in someone else's mind and attributes attached to me that felt foreign from Mm -hmm. who I knew myself to be. Mm -hmm. So negotiating that at the same time that I was negotiating, you know, how to hold a, you know, an exacto blade (laughs) and, you know, all of these just really new skill sets Mm -hmm. was, um, I think, difficult. And architecture, um, the kind of intensity of studio culture, um, which, think is improving, I hope is improving. But at that time, there was a real kind of expectation for all-nighters. There was a a kind of heroism in that. Mm -hmm. So it was a very closed environment where I didn't have a lot of time to spend with students who weren't studying architecture, and it wasn't expected. Um, And I and within the architecture studio, I also felt very aware of my race. There was a time at Tech where I don't know if all the Black students were put together, <laughs> like we were seated together, or if we all chose it. But it was very odd. And it was early, like first first year, I think, maybe second year, early second year. And, and then I noticed that the critics weren't like coming around and talking to us as often as they were talking to other students in the studio. And I complained. Um, And there was almost this, so like having that kind of segregation in the studio and was really odd. And, Mm -hmm. and even uh, my first job after architecture school was with a large firm in Atlanta And they did something similar where there were like, it was like a firm of over 200 people. And I think at that time there were, there was one partner who was black and there were maybe three or four um, staff who were also black and they ended up seating us all in the same little room near this partner's office. So maybe they were trying to like have a kind of mentorship environment, but it also was a part of the office that you could walk clients through and you could skip it if you didn't. So it felt very, and we all like, you know, I was hired, then they hired like another guy and another woman. And we looked around at one time and there were maybe like six desks in this part of the office. And we joked with each other that that was the South side of the office because of the <laughs> racial segregation in Atlanta That's with most of the, the, the blacks living in the South side of the city. But that was very uncomfortable for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at a same time, the same time that I felt very uncertain of, you know, my skills as, as a, a designer and of, you know, all of these other things to also have to negotiate my race and not only, you know, but what other, it was others' perceptions of Mm -hmm. like what that meant, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have said uh, before 
like I don't wake up and think, oh, I'm black. <laughs> you know, look, you know, like it's not yeah. something that is kind of high in my consciousness right. on a daily basis. But when someone looks at you a certain way or looks away from you, like that kind of, I think now we have language for it, like microaggression, right? Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. is actually um is is challenging. It can be baffling. I mean, it it really does erode at your self-confidence. And it it was a part of my undergraduate education in a way that actually inspired me to go and become an educator myself because mm-hmm. um, that and also the what I believe to be really unhealthy um, pedagogies and like studio culture. And I thought I loved architecture. Like I loved it. And I knew that coming in, like I knew that just making and creating and working with open-ended projects and really thinking about, you know, imagining a different world. Like there is an optimism that is Mm -hmm. built into architecture as a profession where we're always thinking about, you know, making things better, right, for our clients, for society, for communities. And I love that visioning part of it, but then also like, well, how are you going to do it? Right. All of the, all of the, the kind of technical part of it as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That, that was very, uh, that was packed with information I want to like <laughs> come back to. Was, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your experience. It's, uh, it must be difficult to talk about even now. And, you know, it's just, it's something that you know, you had mentioned that it's already hard enough being an architecture student, that the mm-hmm. added stress of having to deal with something that is out of your control, number one, that it's something you don't wake up thinking about. And then it's like you have to deal with that on top of the already the culture of architecture school, as you had mentioned, the studio culture. And we're going to touch on that later. And, you know, your take on where we're, where we're at with that now. And we totally agree. There's so much room for improvement. Um, so yeah, we, we thank you for sharing that experience. Um, and it kind of brings us to, I think the next step, um, as you had moved on to licensure, um, you talked a little bit about, um, did you always know you, did you want to be a licensed architect or when did that dawning like happen to you? Was that through school? And also let's, let's talk about your experience taking the tests because that's something our listeners are (laughs) in right now. And so we, would love to get your take on what that was like and even what it looked like because it changes every five years. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I, once I figured out that I needed a master's and that I um, needed licensure, I mean, I knew nothing about any of that. I, you know, if there was a, a category of less than nothing, you could have put me in that category <laughs> when I started in architecture school. So I've I learned about that process uh, as an undergrad, and then I worked for a couple of years in Atlanta, and I moved to Connecticut before um, returning to grad school. So I knew when I found out what the process was, like I was ambitious, and I was like, oh, for sure, you know, I'm going to get my master's, and I'm going to get licensed, just because it felt like, I mean, we 
it is said over and over in architecture school, like you're not an architect until you're licensed. You can't use that word architect. And I wanted, you know, I was going through all of this and I yeah. wasn't going through it, you know, to be a, a designer or a project manager <laughs> for the architect, rest of my yeah. life. Like I wanted that credential. It was really important to me to have um, professional licensure so I decided very early on, like there wasn't even a decision. It was like, if I'm going to architecture school, I'm going to become an architect. So how do I do it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, um, I worked, I started working in architecture, like in an architecture firm, actually, I think it was the summer after my sophomore year. And it was um, through a contact that I made at a NOMA conference that Georgia Tech sent a few of us to. So um, we went up to a conference in Chicago and I remember seeing a bunch of people, I was from Philadelphia and I saw a bunch of people with Philanoma bags like walking through the conference. And I was like, Philanoma, that's Philadelphia. And I just went up to this woman and introduced myself and said, you know, are you from Philadelphia? I'm there. And we exchanged contact information. And I probably didn't email her. I probably called her. (laughs) And I ended up, she introduced me to uh, Emmanuel Kelly, who is an African-American architect in Philadelphia who had his firm. And he agreed to speak with me just to give me some advice about my work or something. And I remember I didn't have a formal portfolio. So I remember taking some drawings and like physical models, like in a tote bag to his office for this meeting for him to. Yeah, I mean, it was like my favorite models. And luckily, they were large enough or small enough to fit in a shoebox. So I remember going and meeting with him in his conference room and showing him some of my drawings and talking to him about this model. And he called me and offered me a summer internship. And I was really grateful. I think I had started making some other contacts and I had another firm that I was talking to, but I ended up working um, for him and I continued to go back to him during the summer. So I got my first internship in architecture and um, ultimately worked for him, I think three different times. I mean, he was, he and and others in his firm uh, were mentors. They were kind of a part of my story, but um, that was really critical uh, for me to like find someone who I could then, and it was maybe the first time that I actually felt like I had someone that I could ask. So I went to him to ask for advice about grad school. Um, so I, I think if there's something I can extract from, you know, my very particular story is that um, a lot of schools try to have mentorship programs, which is great. You know, that's not a bad thing. But actually being proactive and identifying your own mentor and just saying, you know, I, I connect with you. You know, Emily, I remember our conversations about, you know, Georgia Tech and about school. You know, the best mentorship relationships really are, um, they evolve, but it's important for, for you as a, as a 
an architect or a student or, you know, grad student to just really um, reach out to the people that you um, connect with and be proactive about seeking their advice. So I actually changed jobs because um, one of the reasons I changed was to get my construction site observation. And I went back to Emanuel Kelly's firm, actually from another firm uh, here in Philadelphia. And when I was interviewing to change jobs, I said, I need my construction site observation. It was the last category. And I basically it was like, can you put me on projects where I can, you know, finish these hours so that I can uh, begin to take my licensure exams. And they agreed. So that was the third time at that point that I went back to my mentor and said, can you help me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Be vocal. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We uh, touch on that a lot too, that, you know, you're, you're not going to get things you don't ask for. And I think people are afraid to ask. But in the end, it, it's not a bad thing at all. If anything, it's a good thing. It shows that you're on top of your education. You're on top of what you need to get licensed and you're goal-oriented. So we actually just did an, um, an episode on summer internships and the importance of vocalizing what your goals of the internship are for the summer and being very upfront about it um, with your employer yeah. like right away. Yeah. So. That's, that's fantastic. And I think... The one, so much of the architecture licensure process falls on the individual trying to get licensed. So mm-hmm. a lot of it, it's like, oh, well, you know, you need to complete these hours and you need to do these tests. But how, like, how are we actually going to make sure that people can do this and can do it in an efficient way? Because we're also still living our lives. You know, people yeah. are, mm-hmm. people need to, to have jobs that, allow them to, you know, buy houses and, you know, right. raise families and all of these things at the same time and, and just the time that it takes to do it. So um, I think that's a, an area with a lot of growth potential for us to understand, you know, what's the firm's responsibility to um, people as they're going through a- AXP? Yeah, I think it's just like common, common knowledge that we just assume that, yeah, you have to study and get your hours and all that stuff like on your personal time. Like, you yeah. know, you have you still have to work your 40 hours at least. You, you know, it's usually more in architecture. And then you you have to figure that out on all the other hours that you have. But then they also expect you to be moving in that yeah. process. And like the it's beneficial to the firm for you to get licensed. And so that yeah i've i've worked at different firms where there was more of an emphasis on that or there wasn't so it's there's a big difference in like a firm that will like give you resources and like maybe give you time off to take the exams or whatever it is to study or there's a study group and yeah i think it's that there's a lot of room to improve in that because i feel like i haven't even thought about that as like a possibility it was like oh yeah like firms could be more supportive and, and like not just assume that we have infinite time after work. Yeah. Like to, they built it in done. more into yeah. their nine to five schedule. It's like, oh, let's have a lunch and learn every couple months about, you know, an ARE yeah. topic or something. And then at least get it on people's radar. Um, and even coming back to like 
school, I feel like in, even in our grad school program, it just was not talked about. And it's like this ominous thing that everyone has to do one day. Because I think if they actually taught, if we were concerned about the ARES in school, we'd realize how much like a lot of, the, well, a lot of the stuff we learned is not applicable to the test <laughs> and we would want different types of classes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think a good example is like we had a, a couple of construction site like tours during school that I was like, I wonder if I could count this for my CA hours and it totally worked. But like I only did it and I don't know if Emily did it, but I, I asked like one of our professors to approve my hours as a mentor and it totally got approved. And I was like, why isn't, why, why don't you just say, Hey, you everyone, tell everyone go that. log in your hours yeah. and I will prove it. Like mm -hmm. this is, yeah, I'm helping so you true. out to get ahead in life when you graduate next semester or whatever. Like, yeah. yeah. And it would alert so students to even start a record. They'd be like, what's an Retta NCAR or an AXP record? <laughs> like, you know, it's insane. Oh. Yeah, there are a lot of there's a lot of room for like education, even of faculty. I have given construction site tours and told students like you these are this can count if you have a, a record. But at that time, I was like the architect licensing advisor at Temple. And the, so I was aware of the change. Um, but all faculty, once you're licensed, there isn't much incentive for you to keep up with the uh, rules, the new rules for what it takes to, to be licensed. Mm -hmm. And the, those rules changed. And there, there absolutely is a need for a stronger infrastructure of support for uh, aspiring architects, for, you know, students in school. And then after you get out of school, I think that's the real a real um, gap, if you will. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds you of like that stat where it's like, where do all, they all go? Like after architecture school, like there's a significant like drop in architects. It's like, why are there so many students, especially, you know, women that are practicing and then, you know, they, where do they all go? And it's pretty yeah. much. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's like a priority until it's the firm doesn't make it a priority. And then you're kind of not forced to, but you just fall into the project, you know, production mm -hmm. uh, zone and you're just like working on projects and working, you're like, working. oh, I forgot yeah. that, you know, I needed those hours. And I think especially now that you, I mean, I'm glad that we can take the exams before we're done with our hours, but I can see how the hours can be kind of like in the back burner. Like I'm not done with my hours and I'm starting my exams. And I don't know if by the time I'm done with my exams, I'm going to be done with my hours. I would like to be, but it's something that could be just kind of like hanging in the background. Like, oh, I forgot I needed to do more CA stuff <laughs> and I haven't asked to do it in like a year. So you really have to be on top of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, like I, your responsibility. I think the other challenge in all of this um like the the hours and um just getting your your internship experience is um the fact that and i want to go back to to what emily said a moment ago like when people don't become li licensed architects we say that they kind of left the profession and we don't really um include them in the umbrella of architect or architects. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not true yeah. for other professions. 
But part of the problem is like if you go to law school, and I'll use this as an example, you, I mean, most students take the bar right after law school. It's offered like, you know, some period of time to give people time to, to study, and then you take the bar and hopefully you pass it and you become, you know, a lawyer. Um, and then whatever you do, right, you're a lawyer. And whether or not you're working in a law firm or you're working in a nonprofit or you're working for a university or whatever it is or an industry, you still are a lawyer. But in architecture school, you know, you go through architecture school. Now you can concurrently take the exams and um, work on your work towards, you know, your your hours. But you're not an architect, right, until you pass that threshold. And part of it is that the paradigm of architecture education in the United States is the schools and your, what we used to call like internship experience, your firms, right, collectively bear responsibility for you achieving um the competency for independent practice as an architect. And that's mm -hmm. the reason we have licensure, right? And to um, make sure that, that you can practice independently uh, mm -hmm. as an architect. That's what the, the credential stands for. But because that happens at a time that's not prescribed and there's no, you know, if we use medicine as a, as an analogy, there's no kind of, prescribed period of time where everybody is going through this in a really structured way at the same time, mm -hmm. um, then you become licensed. You People go off and they do really great things, but maybe they're not a licensed architect, but they're still, like they still are leveraging the skills that they learned in school mm -hmm. to do the things that they're doing you know, for the world, but we lose those contributions mm -hmm. to the discipline because they haven't kind of reached because we govern so tightly who can call themselves an architect and yeah. who not. Yeah. And there is, there are uh, educators uh, really advocating that people that graduate with professional degrees in architecture can call themselves architects. And then you know, maybe you're an architect, but not a licensed architect. Yeah. Right. So, right. or you, or there Just is like an engineer, <laughs> right. There's some way of acknowledging the, um, the, the importance of the educational component, even yeah. if you don't go on to practice. Yeah. And, and it's a huge, it's like a, everybody has a master's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of education. It's a yeah. lot of education and it's meaningful education. How do we know that? Because it's when people go off and they don't become licensed architects, you know, like they, they're doing really wonderful, creative things for the world with the skills that they got in architecture school. Yeah. But then mm -hmm. they, they have to almost assume another professional identity, right, yeah. in order to describe yeah. themselves. Mm -hmm. um, but if they could say, oh, I'm an architect, I'm not a registered architect, but I'm an architect, yeah. right? There, I mean, we have uh, letters, right, that we can yeah. put yeah, out there. in the acronyms yeah. if you're licensed, people will understand. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, but we, and 
And what's so funny is that the the word architect, right, has also been co-opted by so many other fields, yes. right? You know, like I'm software software architect, or I'm so you know funny. all of these yeah. types of architects. Because <laughs> that word has meaning within society, yeah. but within the profession of architecture, we've we've begun to uh, to not even manage, but we're so kind it's of like gatekeeping it or something like oh, it's ma- absolutely gatekeeping. Making, That's the word, yeah, putting it on a pedestal and no one else. And if you didn't do it, well, you didn't care about your career or something. Not and, good enough. Yeah. yeah. And it just, and, and you're, you're not one of us, you know, yes. so there is this othering that we yes. do in the, in the, the discipline that so is, true. you know, the, the kind of ones, there's a badge of honor and I mean, we say it's to protect the the public, but I don't I don't know if the public needs that level of protection because you know I think that I think you know either you have a license or you don't. I don't know that we need to to govern the use of the word architect that tightly mm-hmm. um, that we actually are engineering our own you know irrelevance because yeah. we don't capture the contributions, unlike law, unlike medicine, unlike Mm -hmm. other fields of people who have these uh, wonderful educational credentials and they leverage it to do great things in the world, but they end up, you know, kind of uh, describing themselves in another way, right, in order to, um, because they can't, use the word architect. Yeah, so. the hesitation. You're like, oh, I'm a... And even if you talk to someone outside of the discipline and you start hesitating, you're like, I'm a designer, like architectural designer. And they're like, so you're an architect. Like, they're like, why are you making this such a big deal? <laughs> like almost I like... say architect. Because <laughs> why do we say licensed architect for licensed architects if we're not if calling you can't say licensed architect. architects architects? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah. it's like, oh, don't you dare like say that. And it's so funny that other other like industries have taken on this word and to them it's not that deep but to our industry <laughs> they're like yeah it's a verb we're architecting things like my my husband's actually a software engineer and we, we joke about this all the time that you know he's that he's on a phone call and I'll hear them say we're architecting this program they <laughs> they use that verb all the time and I used to get mad I'm like you can't use that word like that's our word and my he's word. like he was like who said that like it's literally an English language word and it's and it's this conversation is so uh, valuable to me because I don't think it's talked about enough that the architects always have this like complex of feeling not good enough. I feel like starting in school, starting after when you can't call yourself an architect, and it's like if you don't like give people a confidence, like how are they going to want to proceed? Like it's just it's crazy. And yeah. I, I think this is probably also related to our like compensation and how low it is and just how like we so don't think things. we're we're like professionals until we go through this whole thing and after you go through this whole thing you're still not compensated fairly so yeah it's, there's just a lot it's i don't know why as a as a profession we like don't value ourselves and yeah. don't like well i recognize the the whole the huge amount of effort that Our goes schooling, into it's not all easy. of the education <laughs> yeah I'm of the opinion that broadening the use of the word architect actually will help the public understand 
the value of what we bring to a team, to a project, to a community, to society. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe that there has been a, a kind of a successful attempt to gatekeep, you know, who can uh, become licensed. But that gatekeeping has also hurt us um, in, in terms of the public's uh, understanding of what it is that we do. And as a licensed architect, I, you know, I, I'm not undervaluing what the contributions of licensed architects are, but I think that there are a lot of other people that are, in my mind, architects, mm-hmm. including those that are pursuing licensure, that don't um, have the benefit of using that word and therefore we people don't know Mm -hmm, that that person is an architect went to architecture school worked for firms and it's that experience that's actually um informed what they're doing right now and maybe Mm -hmm. it's in you know marketing maybe they're doing some other kind of you know design work that isn't doesn't require uh, a license but they are actually an architect so mm-hmm. i think that there is a uh, a real need to to think about uh, that and you know i've been in some conversations uh, with people um, through when i during my time on the acsa board about this and it's a heavily contentious uh, proposition. Like, I'm just going to admit that, like, this is something that is because, you know, the, the licensure and, and registration process has been so um, prescribed and, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and, and managed. But it, on the other hand, <laughs> similar to my thoughts about architecture education, you know, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> I think we just solved it. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> It's so simple, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy that like some, a decision that we make can impact our just whole profession and public's perception of it. Wow. Yeah. So, well, <laughs> a lot to work on. I'm um, having a midlife crisis right now. It's <laughs> <laughs> Why is it like this? <laughs> All right, guys, that was part one of our interview. Don't miss our next episode for part two. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, And also don't forget to follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn at Open Plan Podcast. And be sure to leave us a nice rating or review if you haven't. Thanks, guys. See you on the next one.